Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his, we are his people, and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him, bless his name. For the Lord is good, his steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. And you may be seated, and I hope you got a bulletin as you came in. If not, remember we send the emails out each week, so there's also information in those that you can have ahead of time. Let me begin by saying welcome. If you're here visiting with us this Thanksgiving week, we want you to be a part of our service. And so if you have a bulletin, you'll be able to follow along and go along with our confessions and our prayers and that you can be a part of the service rather than just a spectator. We are glad that you're here. We ask that you fill out a little blue card if you get an opportunity. That visitor card you can simply place in the offering box as you leave today, um, or there is a basket in the foyer for you to place those in so that we'll have a record of your visit, a way to be able to contact you. Let me begin with an announcement uh, that Sarah asked me to share. So I'm going to say it from here. Maybe you can hear me, but if not, she can clarify it. Right after service today, the children who are wanting to be in the choir for the songs coming up are going to meet here on the stage right after service. And then adults right after Sunday school, about 12. So Sunday school teachers, you got to get done early. Stop being so long-winded and let your people go. So we have choir at 12 o'clock right away after service. So we're going to have a children's choir, hopefully this Christmas, and an adult choir. So if you're interested in singing, please, children, right after the worship service, meet here on the stage for a few moments, and then the adults will be after Sunday school. So please, if you can't make it, please at least let us know that you want to be a part, and that way we can still get information to you and everything that you need. Also, when it comes to the election of officers, again, we have said through the month of November, we are accepting ballots. Now, I know it's a little different in the past. Every church does it differently. We have actual ballots in the foyer. You'll see on the right-hand side as you leave, there's two pieces of paper, one that says nomination for deacon and one that says nomination for elder. And what that does is it allows you to call the person that you would like to nominate ahead of time and say, look, I would like to nominate you to be an elder or a deacon. And if they say, yes, I would be willing to at least go through the training or to see what it is. That's all the affirmation. Someone asked me, well, look, do I have to agree to serve before I know what it is? No. If someone is asking you if you're willing to be nominated, what you're affirming is, yes, I'm willing to let them contact me, tell me what it's going to entail, what, what goes into being ordained as an officer. And even at the end of that training, if you decide that's just not time, or if the session decides it's not time, then we still don't have to serve. But we need those nominations. We really need you to be praying about it, folks. As the church is growing, coming back out of the pandemic, we really need those who are willing to help. Deacons are a blessing to us, not just in ministering to all the service needs of those who've come, whether they're in our church or the mercy ministry outside. They help us with all of our building and stuff that goes on here. Uh, we also need elders if you're more of a shepherd's heart. Uh, some people look at being an elder as the one who has to deal with all the, the big decisions. Folks, the elders help run the church, most importantly, spiritually. They're the ones that are designated members of the church. So let me clarify why I have a chance while I'm up here, that if you are a non-member of the church, well, then you're not as important as the rest. <laughs> no, that's not true. Um, we hear all kinds of things. What that really means is this. Please understand, when you join a Presbyterian church you automatically are assigned an elder as a shepherd. So our elders do not have a choice to not shepherd. So they have families, and they'll designate, and if they switch, you'll be called, you'll know who your shepherd is. But folks, if you're not a member, then obviously Nick and I and others are still going to minister to you and help, but the advantage of being a member of the church is that your family is automatically put into the shepherding so that we can help you. So please don't make it or, or take it as though we don't care about you. Um, but if you are a non-member and you're not assigned a shepherd because our elders have to take care of the ones that are members. And so we need your help, men. So if you have a shepherd's heart and you like to pray for people and you like to be there in time of need and you want to be able to help in the shepherding process with Nick and I, then you need to pray about being an elder. Because it's not just the person who's at the top making decisions it's the person who's trying to lead by example in being a shepherd. And so that's what our elders have been doing. So please pray about that. We, we really could use the help as the church grows to have those who feel called to serve the Lord. Um, so you'll see those in the back. We'll do that still through the end of the month. And uh, 
and then we'll go from there. Uh, other than that, it is a busy season. Next week starts our uh, Advent season, and so each week we will start lighting the candles. If you've been here in the past before, each week we'll light an extra candle. We hope to have a different family come up and read some scripture. And so uh, we may be contacting you, or if you're interested in doing it, that helps us a lot. If you've never read and done a candle before, please just call me or call Nick and say, hey, my family would be willing to go up and read the scripture and light the candle. And it gives us an opportunity to be a part of the service as we go through Advent. So please let us know if you'd like to be a part of that as well. Other than that, uh, let's take a moment and go to the Lord in prayer. And I'll lead us to the throne of grace. And if you would, join me in the Lord's prayer if you need that. You can just open the inside of your red hymn book, and you will see it plaqued there in the front of your hymn book to join with me. But what a time to be thankful. We'll share together all morning long about God's faithfulness and our thankfulness for that. And so let's take a moment and pray. Heavenly Father, we again are so thankful for that you chose us, for that you would give your Son for us, that he would leave heaven, that he would come to us. Lord, as we are so thankful for our parents, thankful for our families, for our churches, for those who serve us, Father, let us not go through a week without realizing that we are truly thankful to you more than anything else. That, Lord, without your sovereign mercy and grace, we would be headed to hell. But, Lord, because you love us, because you first loved us, Lord, we have a place in that harvest. We have a place that we belong in a place that we'll spend eternity with you. Lord, we do ask that you forgive us of our sins, cleanse us for all the times that we have fallen and failed, and pick us up so that our spirits here can join together as we're thankful, that we can come together through the veil which was torn asunder so that we could enter and pray as a body, saying, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Before we sing again, I'm going to take you take your hymn book, because we'll be singing there in just a moment, and turn back to page 876. We've been working through the catechisms. And today, what a special opportunity for us to do the catechism questions that deal with the Lord's Supper. We will be sharing the Lord's Supper uh, later on in the service. And so we ask you to begin to prepare your heart to understand what it's about. And as we sing about his faithfulness and what he's done for us, that we can actually commune together. And so I'll be reading question 96 and 97. If you would join together with me as we read the answer. Question 96 from the Catechism states, What is the Lord's Supper? The Lord's Supper is a sacrament wherein, by giving and receiving bread and wine, according to Christ's appointment, his death is showed forth, and the worthy receivers are, not after a corporal or carnal manner, but by faith, are made partakers of his body and blood, with all his benefits to their spiritual nourishment and growth in grace. Well, what is required for the worthy receiving of the Lord's Supper? It is required of them that would worthily partake of the Lord's Supper, that they examine themselves of their knowledge to discern the Lord's body, of their faith to feed upon him, of their repentance love and new obedience, lest, coming unworthily, they eat and drink judgment to themselves. And I know, as the writer of Hebrews says, I know it's not you, for we trust in him, and we are made worthy because of the righteousness he placed on us, and we are so thankful for that. Before we pray together, our prayer of confession, let me read to us a call to confession. This is from Matthew 22. Our Lord said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets.
Let's pray together. Turn over the page. And let's pray this prayer together. Lord, we have sinned without considering how much you love us. You see our sins more clearly than we can ourselves. Lord, you know when we are indifferent to your word, the Bible, how often we forget to pray, the times we come unwillingly to worship, and yet we turn to you when we are in trouble. Lord, you know when we are untruthful and when we think evil of others. You see our anger and unfairness to our friends. You know how hard it is for us to forgive. Forgive us and make us clean so that we can obey your call to take up your cross and follow you. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. In humility, we look up to the Lord and we hear his promise from Romans 5. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. As we look to Jesus for mercy and pardon, we also look to him for the grace to grow in our faith. The Lord is not done with you yet. He's not done with me yet. We're assured of his promise, and we look to him for the confidence that we need to live. Thanks for our music team. What a blessing to have everyone up here and working and sharing in the talents. We appreciate those of you who are, are willing to help us. I want to take a moment this morning as we're thinking about thankfulness to take you on a, a little sidestep here. I don't usually let the music, the music team determine what we preach, but in this past week, you, you must understand Sarah and I's uh, working relationship for the last two years. She is so supportive, and when I find texts, and Nick finds call to worships, and we find things, and she tries to blend the music, and we try, we honestly try to make it work, even if sometimes it doesn't sound like that. But this past week, she's had some songs, and thankfulness, and things going on, and she said, Pastor Jerry, this one time, would you just do a sermon on thankfulness? It's Thanksgiving, step out of bounds, we're done with the book of 1 John, we haven't started Advent, we had a free week. So I thought it would just be another week off for me, but she has said no, and so I want to take you on a journey of thankfulness, but let me begin. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 9, a very familiar passage that I've enjoyed this week, but I want to speak to you more from a pastor's heart than from a preacher's voice, if I can say that. I want to speak to you for a moment about thankfulness, and obviously I want to begin, I told my wife and I hope you understand our hearts. I really do want to begin the service by saying thank you. Um, for us, it has been an amazing two years. I know the things that we have trodden through and been through and shared with each other are things that no one in the world expected us to face. And yet we're still pulling out of a pandemic. We're still wrestling with vaccinations. We're wrestling with masks. We're Worried about the political environment. We're stressed over all the social activity that's taken place. And yet now we're facing economic trends that they say could be different for the year coming. And part of me wanted to sit down and before I got into all of that thought, you know what really changes it, changes it all is when you sit down and say, Lord, let me take a moment and just be thankful. Let me take a moment and just be thankful. I'm not thankful the way all the things have been turning out and all that you have to go through. But I'm thankful that you've accepted me and my family. I'm thankful that you have been patient with us as we have transitioned and gotten involved. And we're thankful that you've allowed our children to plug right in. And I'm thankful for so many of you, especially ladies who have taken in my wife and made her not only feel like a preacher's wife, but a person and someone that could have friends and relationships with. And so it has been a, a wonderful time. And so let me start by saying I'm so thankful for you all. But more than you, and I say this gently, I'm thankful for what the Lord has done for me. Because all that you have done for me still does not compare for what it is the Lord has done for me and what the Lord has done for you. And so as I pray about thankfulness here this morning, I'm going to take you on a journey again from my heart 
in hopes that you realize this morning when you leave this place that no matter what has been going on in your life, no matter what situation you've been facing, no matter what the hardship, no matter what the hard decision, no matter what bad choice, no matter what wrong direction, no matter what's taken place, you can at least take a few moments led by the Spirit of God and say, but Lord, I am so thankful because God has a plan and a purpose and he's got you right where he wants you to be. You've been through everything that you've gone through and you're about to face the things you don't understand for no other reason than the Lord has been preparing his harvest since the foundations of the world. If you understand the teaching of a harvest. And so in chapter 9 of the book of Matthew, we get a very small account, and I hope to quickly take you on a journey of thankfulness as we look forward to commuting together around the table of our Lord. In chapter 9, verse 35, Jesus picks up after he has just walked through the center of towns, healing those that were paralyzed. He calls Matthew, if you know, the tax collector. He instructs them all about fasting. He's restored a woman to life and healing, and he's been out dealing with the blind men, and he's now healed those who were unable to speak. You see, Jesus was on a ministry to bring those in that the Lord had sent him to bring in. There was a harvest that needed to be brought together. There were seeds that had been sown. There were fields that had been worked. And since the foundation of the world, God was bringing in and accomplishing the promises and purposes he planned, even in the Old Testament, foreshadowing of Christ. Jesus was only fulfilling in thankfulness what the Father sent him to do. Matthew picks up the story in verse 35 and says this, chapter 9 of the book of Matthew. And Jesus went through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So I want to take you on a journey of thankfulness. And first of all, you can write these down as we go along. I always try to put them in a way that you can understand them. I hope you do. But first of all, and understand it, let's look at first and foremost, the harvest. What a wonderful harvest. And what is this that Matthew is actually writing us about? Because it's not just a cornfield. It's not a wheat field. Now, I have family that are farmers. I know many of you come from farm families and thousands of acres every year in Kansas. I love keeping up with the harvest and how it goes and I'm more caught up in the side. Some of you may understand all that, but I love the futures and the contracts and you sell them the corn before you ever got it and the wheat before it's ever planted. And man, there's so much that's going on in this harvest for the labor to work and to make it possible for it to be right. And so in the Bible, when it says there is a harvest, listen to this, the Greek word therismos, it's actually the noun. It's not the verb that we think about in harvesting. It's the noun. There is a harvest that is plentiful. It's a harvest that is translated throughout in scriptures in a figurative language. Doesn't mean it's not true. He's using farming language, but he's not referring to an actual wheat harvest. He didn't want the disciples to run out and start farming because they didn't have no one in the fields. It was the figurative language used many times throughout the scriptures and many times relating to those who are going to face the judgment of God. The harvest is a reference to the people who are being harvested by God to prepare for judgment day. So when he says the harvest is plentiful, it's because he's known before the foundations of the world that sin has to be atoned for. It has to be paid for. There is a punishment for sin. And we all know what the wage of sin is. It's what? Death. 
And judgment has to happen. And so the disciples are being told, I'm healing all these people. I'm cleaning all these people. I'm miraculously bringing together the things that the kingdom needs to further the harvest. Not that miracles can be done so that Jesus was seen as being kind. The harvest isn't about recognizing Jesus as a miracle worker. The harvest wasn't about figuring out who had the most money and the most land and who could bring it all together again before we got back to the year of Jubilee when all things would return back to those who owned. Jesus simply healed, he helped, and he fixed because it was the way the harvest was being brought together. I'm not sure what you're going through in your life But you need to look at yourself as a child of God as being part of the harvest. That all the people that have worked to make it happen, all the events in your life that have taken place, have been working together by everyone involved in this field, everyone involved in the planting, everyone involved in the situation, so that you come to the place face-to-face with Jesus, prepared for judgment day. That's the harvest. Matthew 13, it's reflection when he talks about the harvest, is the separating of the righteous from the unrighteous, the weed from the wheat, the tares. Do you see the references here when we speak about the harvest? This therismos is used in Mark about the growing of the seed, the secret of how the harvest comes together because we understand in God's harvest, it's his working in his way. We don't understand just how God worked to change our heart. We're not sure just which person God's going to put in our life to change us. But the one thing I do know is that you need to be so thankful that whoever it was and whenever it was and however it took place, it happened because God sent the worker to you to prepare you and to bring you in to be ready for the harvest. My first and foremost challenge to you this morning, if you're listening, and maybe for the first time in your life, I'm here to tell you, you better be prepared for the harvest. The harvest is the ingathering of God's people who are prepared to spend eternity with him. Matthew chapter 9, as we read about it here, it's this Christian mission that it is used where people are being prepared by God ahead of time to meet him. Are you? Are you being prepared to meet him? Do you see the activity in your life, the events that are taking place, the circumstances that we're facing as just random acts of events, just the way the world turns? It's just waiting for the next event to happen? Or do you realize they're all working together for good so that you're ready when the time comes to be harvested? So that's the harvest. When Jesus said first and foremost, what is he speaking about? He's speaking about a harvest, a people that are being prepared for God. Now, let's look at the harvest. Look at the words that are used here as we look at the harvest. He says when he went through these crowds and he had compassion on them, why? He uses two specific terms because one, they were harassed. First of all, we have a harvest of people. Now we have a people that are harassed. It's the people of God Jesus is reaching out to that we're talking about. We're not talking about Jesus helped them because they were having worldly problems. These are the people in the harvest that before the foundations of the world, he was sent to save. We're reminded in John when Jesus said to the Father, all that you have given me, I have brought. I have lost none of them. I have saved every one of them that you sent me to receive to you. So these people that Jesus are healing were the people that God has prepared before the foundations of the world to be with him. And he sent Jesus to be there with them. And so the people that were harassed, it's the Greek word skullo. It's a fun word to look at, but it actually means this. To be skinned or filleted in many times. Can you imagine how in the world does that fit? How is it that the people of God who are being brought in are being harassed? It's as though they're being skinned or filleted. Sometimes translated as very troubled and wearied. But have you ever got to that point in your life where you thought to yourself, man, I've had enough. I just want to get out of this. And some people have had it so hard that they're not talking about the situation. If I could just get out of my skin... If I could just get away from this, if I could just have a whole new start, 
if I could just change who I am. You see, the people that God came to save, to call to himself from the foundations of the world, were the people that were being harassed, actually literally feeling like they were being unwanted, stripped, and no worth, nothing to account for. That's what it felt like when you're meant to be in a harvest and you're among people that don't understand. Oh, I'm telling you, the harvest is hard to deal with. It's the people of God that he has. But folks, listen to this. The harvest was never meant to be easy. Just this past year alone, as I've shared before, I won't tell everybody, I family that harvests, and I tease my brother-in-law because he does all the farming and stuff as we do things together now, and he shares with me, and I learn all kinds of stuff. But I get excited because I read articles that say, man, the harvest is larger than it's ever been. Prices for wheat and corn are higher than they've ever been before. I'm looking at all the positive. My wife even tells me sometimes, Jerry, you can make anything sound good. I'm exaggerating, I guess. But I look at the positive. I'm, man, this is going to be a great harvest. Da, 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 da. And then he calls back and he says, well, that's good that the prices are higher than they've ever been. I said, I know that's good. He said, because so is nitrogen and so is seed. And so is fuel. And then I began to think, wait, wait a minute. Because the cost. And I said, yeah, but it's going to be a good year. And he said, Jerry, it's never good until the crop is in the grain bin. If you understand that as a farmer, it doesn't matter how good the season's been. doesn't matter how much work has gone into it. It doesn't matter what it looks like at this moment. What matters is whether or not the harvest makes it in. If you're here this morning, it doesn't matter what your life looks like. It doesn't matter the work that it's taken for you to get where you are. It doesn't matter the toil and the struggle and the many times that life has been a harassment to you. It doesn't even matter if you think life has been so good and you've been blessed and everything looks nice. If the harvest doesn't make it in, you will be judged. It's not the present life that matters. It's the life that you're preparing for to spend eternity with the Father. Are you ready to overcome the harassment and be with Jesus? Because he uses the very next word that explains how it happens. Not only are we harassed by others, not only is it a life that is a struggle, not only does it depend completely on the one who harvests us, but he says this, the harvest, the people of God are not only harassed, but they are helpless. Let me ask you a point blank question. Just what do you think you've done to deserve heaven? Yes, we've said it a thousand times before. We are saved by what? Grace. It is a gift of God that no man should boast. Because you have not done enough. Husbands, you may be great husbands. You may be good leaders. Great supporters. Financially stable. Family runs smooth. You have it all in place. But if you're without Christ, you're not going to be harvested. And what good is it to save the whole world and lose your very own soul? Oh, the people were helpless. Rinto. Looks like pinto if you like to do Greek. It's the letter R. Rinto is the word they use to fall, to cast out, to hurl. Those who suffer have been dispersed. That's what he's talking about. Not only are we harassed and going through situations, but we're talking about people who have been suffering. It takes a suffering for the harvest to come in. There's a cost that goes along with it. And the people are helpless because they realize they cannot do it themselves. The blind could not say to himself, I'm ready to see. The lame could not say to himself, I'm ready to run. The woman, bleeding for years, could not say, I'm ready for it to stop. And the poor woman that was barren could not say, I'm ready to have child. They were helpless. Someone on the outside needed to work, toil, and suffer 
so that they could be changed, prepared, and made ready for the harvest. Well, I'm so thankful. When you understand what the opposite of sonago is to bring together, you catch this? The harvest are people who are helpless. Opposite. The opposite in the Greek, sonago, is the word opposite that says bringing together and banding as one. Isn't that amazing? That without the laborer, without the one who brings in the harvest, without the one who is able to suffer and to make the change, the people are unable to be brought together into one. We begin to see a picture, do we not, of what a harvest really is? That when Jesus said the harvest is plentiful, because my father before the foundations of the world has already planted the seeds, he's already got it prepared, he's already done what is necessary, all that's left is for the one to come and harvest. And that's why I'm here, to make things ready. So now here's the prayer. If we have a harvest of people who have been harassed and are helpless and cannot save themselves, we understand the prayer. Pray to the Lord that he would send out what? Let's just keep it in line, helpers. We have a harvest that have been harassed and are helpless, and now we need helpers. It's the word for labor. It's the word that is put out there. That's what it means. Okay, we're there to serve. We're there to toil. We're there to work. We're there to be a part of what is necessary in order for the harvest to be complete. Ergazo is the word that is used. We find the word from power, ergamai. It's the same word that is brought to when we talk about toiling and working with our fingers, our hands, the amount of effort that goes into it. Again, I remind you this, the opposite of this word here for the laborer is the word argos, which means simply this, translated throughout the New Testament as inactive. You're either a helper, serving, toiling, laboring, working, striving for the harvest to overcome the harassment, the issues that people face, the toils and the struggles they're going through, and you realize they're helpless and they cannot do it on their own, and you step in as a helper, or you remain inactive. You have a choice. I'm not asking you to raise your hand. But if I had to ask you, what category are you in? Could you say to yourself, Pastor, I'm serving in the harvest. I'm a laborer. I'm striving daily. I'm out there amidst the harassment. I'm helping those who are helpless. I see that God's got a plan, and I'm here to bring in the harvest. Pastor, right now I'm inactive. Jesus said it this way. You're either with me or what? So we understand why it is that we need to be so thankful from the heart. Why, Pastor Jerry, are you so thankful? I'm so thankful that God has prepared people in my life, placed them there and put them there, that they would help harvest me. I may not have liked everything they did, agreed with everything they stood for, and sometimes didn't even realize why they were part of my life. But I am so thankful that he brought me you. I'm so thankful that he brought me my wife. She needed me. <laughs> I am so thankful for our eight kids. They've taught me so much. You see, I could go down the list now about this harvest, but let me take you on a journey for just a minute. I'm so thankful, first and foremost, because it says here, pray to the Lord that he would send the laborers, and he has. He's answered his prayer. If you're here today and you've trusted in Christ, it's because he answered the prayer, because he sent someone to your life. He sent someone to show you, to train you, to bring you in. The Holy Spirit has drawn you in ways that you've never known. And listen to this thankfulness. I'm so thankful for Lois and Eunice. Timothy's 
parent, grandmother and mother. That they never gave up on a Timothy. That they were willing to do the work of a home that we don't understand about the, the father, the grandfathers. And how many homes have grown up without them. Without the leadership of a male role model. Without the leadership of a Christian husband or father. Yet I am so thankful for so many of the women who have raised their children the way a home needs to be raised to see the covenant promises come true. I am so thankful they responded to be laborers in the harvest. And I am so thankful that the disciples in the disarray that they were chose to follow Jesus Christ when he called changed their careers changed careers for you and I to be able to follow Jesus Christ to be able to be active in the harvest and to help reach those that God had planned from the foundations of the world I'm so glad the disciples put their lives on the back burner and rather than fish for fish became what? Fishers of men. Are you a fisher of men? If I asked you this morning on one hand, statistics show evangelism conferences from faith and explosion, CWT, continual witness training, you could ask the average church member how many people they've helped harvest. And they could count them on one hand. How many people have you harvested with the help and the grace of Jesus Christ? I'm so thankful the disciples became fishers of men. I'm so thankful that Paul was willing to give up his heritage, who he was, to be a minister to the Gentiles, to take the gospel to a lost world, though he was a Hebrew of Hebrews, circumcised on the eighth day, leader of the law, Pharisee of Pharisees. Yet we remember his words that I count them all what? Loss for the sake of knowing Jesus Christ that he would use me. I'm so thankful today that Paul was willing to help in the harvest. Oh, the list goes on and on. We could go to Peter and be so glad that even though he flopped and failed, he never quit. Peter never quit. We learn all about his life. We'll study about it as we look at people who have doubted in their lives. You're looking at someone who mocked the same person who came to help him, who lied about the person who was there, who Jesus actually said he would build his church upon. And many of us don't even realize that you could go to the book of Galatians. It was Peter, even after he had been chosen by God to help build his church, would be confronted by Paul because he would eat with the Gentiles until the Jews came. I'm so glad that even though Peter flopped, he never quit. He stayed active in the harvest of bringing in God's people. Isaiah even said it this way, Lord, here am I, what? Send me. If you actually look at the punctuation, it's an exclamation. Here am I, Lord. Send me. He wasn't like, oh, here, okay, it's, I got to go. I got to do it. I'm supposed to be an elder. I guess I'll have to do it. Deacons need another person. No one's going to do it. I guess, you know, pastor, I don't really want to do this, but if you want me to, I will. That wasn't what he said. He said, we need someone who's going to proclaim the word of God and confront these people. You may not realize it, but the story of Isaiah, when he says, here am I, send me, is the story that relates to Ahaz, which is the king that comes to God asking for a sign. And the very next chapter is where we get the sign, behold, a virgin will conceive. Oh, I bet you Isaiah never knew that he would be confronting those people that would be directly involved with the birth of our Messiah. 
You don't know who it is that you might harvest that becomes the next agent for God to change our country, to bring the truth. Parents, it just may be your child. Don't look too far for the harvest. Oh, yes, Abraham, I'm so glad that he left the land of Ur the Chaldeans and all the idols and the worship that he had and went to what was called a promised land, a place he had never seen, that God had never shown him yet. And he was willing to go and to follow and to do exactly what God had asked so that the harvest could be established generations down. He never realized when he was called that it would be him that God would create the Abrahamic covenant, that it would be his seed that would become the lineage of the birth of Jesus Christ. It was just at the time when Jesus or God said, let's go. He said, I'm willing. Let's go. Oh, I'm so thankful, most of all, that Jesus said yes. That he left the portals of heaven. Though he is equal with God, he took on the form of man. And dwelt among us that we might behold the only begotten and glory of God. I'm so glad he understood harassment and that we were helpless and that he would be our helper, our savior, the one who would work, toil, and suffer. I am so thankful that Jesus came for me, for me. I pray this morning, before you leave this place, before we commune together at the table, that you're able to overcome some of those little obstacles, harassments, and circumstances. That you can put aside the piddly arguments, differences, hurts, and realize, most important, that in this situation, you are helpless as one in God's harvest. But greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. I am so thankful that I am in him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for a gospel message of showing your faithfulness in the harvest. That, Father, from the moment that Adam and Eve left the garden, left the place of harvest, you sought them out. You saved them. You covered them. And you began a plan of redemption that included me. Lord, I'm so thankful for my coach. I'm so thankful for those that influenced me in school, my teachers. I'm thankful for some of my neighbors as I grew up. I'm thankful for my pastor that first reached out to me. I'm thankful for godly friends. I'm thankful for a godly mother. Lord, I'm thankful for a godly church. I'm thankful for my godly family. But Lord, hear my heart. I am so thankful that you came for me. That you chose a sinner like me to help you gather in the heart. Here I am. Use me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let me just quickly say, as we've met many times before, we're going to ask them to take the tray, pass it around. If you've made a profession of faith, trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. We ask that you take one, and then please hold it until we can all commune together. Please, if you would, pass it out. While they're passing it out, I remind you this morning that as we take and as we fence the table, 
Fencing the table just simply means we ask that nobody come to take the Lord's Supper that is not made a profession of faith. Parents, what an opportune time to talk with your children. Every time the plate is passed and the bread is there and they ask, when can I take? When do I get to be a part? When can I have one? The easy answer would be, not right now, you're not ready. What you don't understand is the Lord may be using you right now to bring in the harvest. What an opportunity to say you can have one if you're ready to believe in Jesus Christ. If you understand what Jesus Christ has done for you and that you were helpless. Do you see it's recognizing our need for Jesus Christ that allows us to realize we need him. And as we understand what Jesus has done for us, we realize we don't get to a certain point in time, parents, where we have all the right answers. If we think because our children can say the right things or pray the right prayer and so they're ready, we're mistaking what true salvation is. True salvation is the work of God in His time, in His place, And in his way, at any age, bringing people to himself. If your child is asking, I'm ready to be saved, it's not, do you understand our church doctrines? It's not, do you understand what it means to be a faithful Christian? It's no different than what Jesus said to grown men. Are you willing to follow me? Children, I say to you, Are you willing to follow Jesus? Do you realize the cost of discipleship? That following Jesus means trusting Jesus all the way. Listening to the work of the Holy Spirit. Trusting Him to help you make the decisions when the times come. If you're willing to follow Jesus, that's when you go to your parents and say, I want to trust in Jesus. I want to love Jesus like Jesus loves me. If you're able to do that, parents, if you've made the profession of faith, you've said to yourself at some point in life without a special prayer, I too trust in Jesus Christ for my salvation. Can't tell you the exact time. Can't tell you the exact place in the moment when it happened. But I can tell you, I know without a doubt that without him I would be lost forever. I trust in him, I repent of my sin, and I ask Jesus to forgive me. Then you can take in a worthy manner. I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat. In the same way, we will pass the cup. If you would please take one and hold it until we can take together. When we talk about making a profession of faith, listen to the actual words. You've said them many a times. When we say we believe, it's from the Nicene Creed, established in the early 4th centuries, that say this. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of His Father before all worlds. He's God of God and light of lights, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us and for our salvation came down from heaven, was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary, and was made man. He was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. The third day he rose again according to the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And he shall come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead. Whose kingdom shall have no end. He's coming to bring in the harvest. 
He's coming for all those that he has prepared beforehand, that Jesus has died for, and that the Holy Spirit now convicts you of what has happened. And so we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And we believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. And all God's children said, Amen. If that's our profession of faith, we commune together in a harvest of people who were scattered, in a harvest of people who had been harassed and who were helpless. And Jesus did the opposite. He brought us together. He made us one. And he brought us to him. That's what he's done for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. That he did what we could not do. He became the sacrifice we could never be. He provided an atonement that we could never bring. And yet, Lord, he clothed us in a righteousness we never deserved. And now he's prayed for us to join the harvest. Give us the desire, the ability, and the heart to say, here am I, send me. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Paul, in the same Lord's Supper, after he was breaking the bread, said this, in the same way he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Heavenly Father, fill us and dwell us. Change our bitterness and our unthankfulness into a celebration of thankfulness for all that you have done to bring us in. We give you the praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. You receive the benediction. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And God's children said, Amen. have a great Lord's Day. Children, don't forget to come up here.